Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Live Lounge podcast series for the British Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. This episode is hosted by Richard Seymour. Richard is the Senior Marketing Manager at Britannica International School. The topic of the discussion today is about B2C marketing strategies during and post-COVID-19. Richard will be joined by three speakers. The first is Mark Tanner. He is the Managing Director of China Skinny. China Skinny is a marketing research and strategy agency working with over 200 brands and are most famously known for their weekly newsletter called China Skinny. He'll also joined by Jimmy Chang. Jimmy Chang is the General Manager of Skate Communications. They're a brand and communications and events agency in Shanghai. And he'll also be talking to myself. I'm Kirsten Johnston and I'm the founder and CEO of JWDK, also a brand design firm based in Shanghai. So now I'll hand over to Richard and his guests in the live lounge. There's been a lot of changes in the market, so maybe we could start with you, Mark. Have you seen brands in Shanghai adapt to the recent changes? I don't think many brands haven't adapted just out of necessity. And I, I think the most successful brands have been clear in their communications. So they've, they've shown empathy and really shown certainty. A good example of that is Hermar. Really early on, they, they really reinforced that they would stay open they wouldn't raise their prices and they would um, make sure that they had a good supply for everyone so everyone could still eat. And they've been really rewarded through increased customage, customers and, and loyalty as well. You're seeing even traditional stores are, are doing live streaming. There was 719% increase in the number of brands using live streaming. And that included everything from retailers through to government officials to CEOs of companies. Social commerce is another real big one. The only way people were connecting during that lockdown was just through social media. And anywhere you've got social media in China, you also have some pretty well-integrated commerce. So a lot of brands were, were really taking the next step up, integrating sales on their e-commerce. It was already on trend. It, it grew 160% last year just for WeChat mini programs. Sales were about 800 billion RMB, so half that of JD the big e-commerce platform, but uh, it's taken another step up. And you saw really some very traditional bricks and mortar brands that obviously were getting no foot traffic in their stores. They were really struggling for any sales. So they go, they went and launched many programs for sales and, and got their sales staff who were just sitting around not doing anything to get out there and start promoting these mini programs. So for a while there, they were selling more over their mini programs than their bricks and mortar stores. And whilst that wasn't compensating entirely, it was keeping their staff engaged and busy. And also when, when things are returning back to normal, they've got this new channel for marketing and for sales they didn't have before. They've got a lot of traditional brands that are selling online. IKEA now, a classic example, that for 77 years since opening, they'd never partnered with another e-commerce platform, but they launched on Tmall during the crisis. A lot of brands are reinforcing safety and you see that with everything from food and beverage to delivery, and obviously delivery is a big one right now. Contactless delivery is, is huge. But if you look at the very well-known um, hot pot chain, Heidi Lear, they were really reinforced their safety, used a lot of sprays and things to make sure they're delivering things to you. They had robots in, in the restaurants and measured the temperatures of all their waiting staff and their kitchen staff, which was quite common in a lot of places. But something they did which wasn't so great was they raised their prices 
to make up for lost revenue and, and these additional expenses with, with making things safer. And obviously, they got a lot of pushback from pretty fragile customers right now. And they kind of got a bit of egg on their face, had to apologize and give lots of discounts to restore a little bit of faith. But there have been mainly, mainly positive responses from brands here in Shanghai. So would you say there's been a shift in the psychology of consumers at this time? Yeah, very much so. If you, when, you're, when you're stuck indoors with not many places to go, you have a lot of time to think. Things like health has really shot up. Immunity and, and things like fitness have got really important. I, I think something like luxury is, is going to take a little bit longer to get back to normal. Obviously, there's been some record sales with people let loose um, after being locked up for so long. But overall, I think most consumers are are reevaluating how important is it for me to have a big fancy watch and a, and, a, and a shiny handbag. You're getting a lot of consumers that are really looking deeper reflection. Beauty is, on the other hand, people have really, as they've got out, have really spoiled themselves and are getting back to normal. They want to make sure they're looking good when they're getting back out in the public. And so beauty sales have shot up. But things like lipstick obviously haven't because everyone's still wearing face masks. So things like eye makeup and eyeliner, eyeshadow, et cetera, are selling incredibly well. 40% growth this quarter on Tmall for foreign eyeshadow brands. We were doing some work with Colgate at the time and there was a spike in mouthwash and breath freshener type products because all these people are wearing masks and they can smell their own breath a little bit more. So as, a, as an unexpected consequence, more people are out buying mouthwash. So there's all sorts of little niche products, but overall there's that health, safety, family, good quality food and lifestyle type products are really what's on trend at the moment. That's really interesting. So this analyst like uh, there's a lot of change in the market. Kirsten, what should marketers know about their customer segments during times of crisis and how should we be reacting? It's kind of in two waves, really. And I think the first wave was the direct response to the virus itself, where people felt their health was threatened, people felt fear and had this very immediate emotional reaction. And of course, they retreated back to their homes. Um, they saw the value in the families again and, and uh, brought everyone back to a kind of human instinct reality. Certain forms of solidarity have come out and we, we saw those campaigns in China at the very early stages. So the Zhonggo Jiao campaign, the Stay Strong China messages were definitely coming through thick and fast at the early stage. And then the second wave is the response to an economic downturn or economic recession. Millions of people in China really have become unemployed um, since the COVID-19 outbreak. Consumers are now thinking about how they are spending. But I guess with marketers, we tend to look at customer segments and traditionally that's things like demographics. But I guess when you're in a crisis, that sort of shifts because of this emotional response. People's mindset is very different at that point. And we can learn a lot from the global financial crisis. If we look back, there was some distinct customer segments that emerged during that time because people were being super cautious with their money. Back in yeah, 2009, I remember in, in UK, where I was at the time, chocolate sales went up a lot. People felt they just needed that little treat. It's still fairly low cost. And Marks and Spencer's, one of the great British brands, brought out a fantastic deal. For £10, you could get a meal for two and a bottle of wine in the stores. And it brought people in. And I think what's great about that is those brands are aligning themselves and empathising with what the consumers are doing and what they're thinking and coming up with something where they're delivering a high level of value at a very low cost. And I think that's what marketers should be really paying attention attention to right now. What people see is that when you turn the smaller wheels of the economy, the bigger wheel turns. And we're seeing sort of this bigger push now from the government in China for people to, to go out and start spending again. In times of crisis where we're trying to sort of strengthen the customer base, you've got brands like Dyson, for example, supporting the health initiative by designing 
ventilators and face masks. Even the brand of Barber, the fashion brand, were making scrubs and medical clothing in order to send to, to the frontline staff, the NHS. So those brands, you can see, are strengthening their customer base through aligning themselves with the needs of the community at the time. So, so seen to be putting community first and not thinking about profit, I think, is definitely the best way to go. And, and even here in China, Airbnb China has waived all the cancellation charges for the stays because a lot of people had to cancel their, their bookings. Mark mentioned Hermar before. I mean, there was quite a, a lovely initiative that they did in combination with a restaurant, but the restaurants had to lay off, you know, literally thousands of staff because their restaurants couldn't operate. Well, Hermar picked up the slack and hired over 2,000 staff from these businesses to help with supporting product processing, delivering packaging and store management because their demand for delivering food and goods to consumers went up. And I think that sort of collaboration has proven to uh, be very positive in the minds of customers. Yes, it's very interesting. Jimmy, what should brands look out for to see how their customers are changing? For us, um, when we communicate with our clients or when we talk to our uh, when we talk to our consumers, we believe that we should definitely start from the center of the conversation um, to see where things may be going. So, for example, safety, comfort, well-being, it's definitely something that we should uh, dive into research and even track um, while the crisis plays out. And it's very important for us to reflect and discuss um, uh, whether with the client or even within brainstormings to see how this will transfer over into how our products are messaged and how our offerings and services are engaged and promoted in the respective offline or digital channels. For us and our clients, we mainly try and focus right now on the essentials. What was the essentials pre, uh, prior to the crisis and what was our focus then um, and how we're marketing that now to our customers. So for us, essentially, we don't see there's going to be a, a solid uh, for, um, for sure answer on how the customers will be, but we do see that brands and of course, as marketers ourselves or communication professionals ourselves can play a strong role in being part of the conversation and seeing where customers can go. How do you see that PR and brand image has shaped new attitudes towards international brands? Because this is a global crisis, there's going to be some uh, level of effect uh, due to the global scale of the, uh, this crisis multiplied by China's expansive choices in local and foreign brands and their country of origin. It's important to note that that all these Chinese consumers and customers, they're very sensitive to where their product or the service is coming from. And they have a lot of choice. So whether good or bad during this crisis from the country of origin, then whether it's from news or it's from politics, it will have a lasting effect on a brand's image. So it's increasingly important for a brand to have an active voice and take control of a conversation and also be contributing to how their image plays out during the crisis and also after. A big part of that active voice uh, reaching customers is technology. Mark, how is technology being adapted and used by companies to reach customers at the moment? There's been a lot of change in technology, both how it's been adapted, but also who's been using it. So the demographic is, has got a lot broader, been a lot more diversification, as we talked about live streaming and billion and uh, social commerce and, and WeChat groups, the private groups, and all sorts of these different social commerce platforms that are that are really exploding. And there's also been an increase in, in the B2B element with people working from home a lot more. The likes of uh, Alibaba's Ding Talk or Ding Ding has grown another 100 million users over the last month. And that's been very successful for Alibaba to not only get more people on their cloud and, and things, but also the brands are using that as a way to communicate with people working at home. 
A good example is Les Mills, who is a global provider of fitness programs. Um, but they they partnered with Ding Ding and got these workout regimes for people working at home, reminding them to take a break and do something physical. And it's it's really they've had a million and a half users over the first month of that. So it, as a B two B perspective, it's been quite successful as well. And, and as a as a British exporter, you're going to be communicating with partners with. Uh, distributors, with retailers, with importers, and increasingly they will be set up for this uh, with this infrastructure to work through these productivity apps. So it's it's another really powerful way to communicate and do everything from orders to tracking and etc. Another thing that we're seeing, if you look at who's been successful of those brick and mortar retailers over this, it's been the, the new retail brands. What's been really effective for them is that integrated delivery and apps. So if you look at the likes of Hermar in Shanghai, 70 to 80% of their sales for each store go through the app. So people were already used to the app. They've got the infrastructure in place. And as a result, they make three to four times more sales per square meter than a traditional store. And if you look at a lot of the the stores right now, those old-fashioned stores that haven't really adapted to technology, they're really, really struggling. The likes of Alibaba, who who already own an awful lot of physical retailers, and they've got a, a lot of cash as well, and they've done not too badly out of all this this um, crisis. They're likely, I'm guessing, to swoop in and purchase quite a few of these struggling retailers, or at least a share of them, and integrate their new retail technology as they have in, in a lot of other retailers historically. So I think we'll see even more of an explosion in new retail as a result of COVID and much more consolidation in retail with the likes of Alibaba and Tencent playing an even bigger part, both online and offline. Have there been any communication strategies that have been particularly effective in the current situation? Yeah, there's, uh, there's been a lot of brands, I think, have done done a really good job of really, much like Kirsten and, and Jimmy were saying, really understanding what the customers are going through and really empathising with that. And there's been all sorts of challenges that, that people have had with having kids stuck at home and, and trying to live, much like people in the UK are right now. But the, the brands that have really done well have looked at those challenges and have adapted well. And again, Les Mills, who I spoke of before, the, the Ding Ding integration, I think they did a really good job. Like a lot of these fitness brands, they started a, a mini program that gave out all these free live streaming programs that people can do the fitness inside their houses, which became very much on trend for a lot of people that wanted to make sure they stayed healthy and immune as much as they could. But what they did was they um, they made sure they had a kids program as well. It was only a short 15 to 20 minute program, but it gave these parents a little break during the day that they could just sh- shove the kids in front of the screen in a much more positive way. So these kids would get out and do a little bit of exercise. And I think that was a really effective way. And as a result, they've got an awful lot more followers on on their mini program. And they've actually got quite a few that are paying for that extended service. So they now have much more of a direct-to-consumer model than they've ever had before. They've traditionally been focused on the gyms and the instructors in those gyms. So you're getting a lot of these brands now that just out of necessity have pivoted their whole strategy and, and their communications as a result. They'll come out stronger. In times of conflict and difficulty, there's all kinds of success stories we can learn from. Jimmy, what should companies and B2C marketers be focusing upon right now to maximise their business? 
Well, I think that as long as business permits or circumstances permit is don't immediately resort to huge discount promotions and uh, sale offs. I think that would be something, of course, unless it's in a, a situation which that is the, the only choice. But I think it's very important for a, um, a business during this pandemic to stay calm and work with um, their partners, their, their their supply chains, and then their customers. And they're, of course, partners like us agencies to think about the potential scenarios that play out during this uh, time frame. So actually, in, in the past few months with our clients, we've been working out how the potential uh, different stages in the upcoming months, uh, leading them to different for example, key e-commerce uh, shopping days and how we could tackle that, but then flexibly, not having only one, for example, strategy, but actually having multiple so that we actually have choices and flexibility to adapt when the campaign or when the engagement actually happens. And then, of course, secondly, is to have protocols and tracking indicators to be able to have that sense of understanding about the customers and where the market is shifting. So to be very sensitive, for example, if you're a wine brand, you want to see how consumption is done at home, how, for example, Ulama is doing in terms of uh, alcohol to home sales, for example, and be very sensitive to having your own set of metrics or own set of uh, tracking indicators for you to be able to make business and marketing decisions. Be very clear that anything can happen. And when we come out of it, at least it's building upon proactive engagement with the customers and also experimenting on different product fits and also on different communications and messagings. You mentioned moving out of the crisis. What will the new normal look like and what are the key timeframes moving forward? It's been said for years that all brands, especially in China, uh, needs to be digital centric or digital first. This time, it's going to be one of those times where it really changes how businesses attack this market or how businesses engage with customers in this market. Before, offline was also a choice that they could provide a really good experience, but then now it's online that will be one of those essential first choice situations, at least for the upcoming few months. And in terms of timeframes, I think that we, uh, I can't say for sure, but I think that we could keep, uh, everybody can keep their eyes on how the, all the big e-commerce platforms are setting their, for example, uh, e-commerce events or or even how festivals or uh, conventions on how they are setting up their events, whether it's digitally or even offline. I think those will be a very good indicator of how the market is doing. I think that it's very important to understand that they have much more resources and understanding and data to make those kind of decisions. So it will be very good for us to keep track of what these big platforms and all these big uh, institutions are doing. As we move out of the crisis, what can we expect in the future? Moving out of this, we think that what a brand stands for and their voice will have its value back again. So we think the sensitivity towards what a brand's values are and what their offerings and how they're actually connected and brought out to their services and product, we think will be something that's very important. It's good to be looking forward and looking to the future positively, I think. Mark, I'd just like to ask you one final question. What opportunities are there for brands to strengthen their client base and increase growth in the months ahead? I think it's really, really important to get back to that old-fashioned communication. Particularly if you're a brand that's quite British-centric, you're likely to have some customers in China thinking, is everything okay? Is Am I even going to be able to get the products and, and services that I need? Because they're reading a lot in the news, some of it fake, but, but they're reading about the world imploding. So they're probably going to be a little bit nervous about their British supplier actually being able to deliver what they need. 
So it's really important to communicate. Make sure that that relationship remains strong through transparency and communication. There's not one stick-in-the-sand strategy that that will will work forever. China's always been incredibly dynamic and, and the most successful brands have been the ones that are constantly evolving and adapting their strategies with this incredibly fast-changing marketplace. Even more so now, things are just changing daily from a strategic standpoint. COVID-19 is not going to go away anytime soon, really, until they have a vaccination. And even after that, it's always going to be on the minds of consumers. The immunity claim has been creeping into a lot of brands' communications now more than we've ever seen before, and even products that you wouldn't even expect to have immunity-related claims with them. And we think immunity and COVID-related concerns and anxiety may continue for years ahead. So really adapting and making sure you're you're across um, how consumers are feeling and, and how those feelings are changing, how they're shopping, um, how they're sourcing information. And obviously, as, as everyone's been talking about, just making sure that you are across those digital channels that are becoming even more prevalent. I think Shanghai has always been an extremely fast-paced market that uh, marketers have always had to adapt to very quickly and be very flexible in their marketing strategies. Kirsten, how should companies shape their post-virus marketing strategies and uh, focus in the coming months? Just talking about the agility of the China market and perhaps what UK companies have an advantage at the moment is to look at China and maybe learn some big lessons about how China's responded to various stages going throughout these kind of waves of the crisis. The focus on digital, um, I mean, we've seen this huge uptake in the live streaming that President Xi was using live streaming. I wouldn't say directly himself, not a talk to camera or anything, but he was seen sort of vaguely pointing at some agricultural equipment and this was considered live streaming. So we're seeing this on a connection between the government level now utilising platforms like Douyin, otherwise known as TikTok, and even leveraging um, KOLs to, I guess, promote off the back of really what's happened over the last number of weeks. The sort of feelings of solidarity that occurred at the very early stages that I talked about, you know, they're still, they're going to last a long time. And I think marketing at the moment, if you can capture the essence and lever this idea of solidarity and carry it through all of your marketing, and no matter what channels you're using, I mean, I think if you're using these live streaming channels, you're sort of shifting alongside your consumer saying, I know how you're feeling right now at this very moment and these are the sorts of topics we're going to discuss and these are the sorts of products that would fit. But the brands are kind of very quick to respond to that in China and I think we've seen off the back of government initiatives where they're encouraging spending amongst consumers. You've got the likes of JD.com now announcing that they're offering 142 million dollars so it's 1 billion yuan's worth of shopping points to help drive the national consumption demand so you're essentially seeing a lot of vouchers been given out from a government level but equally from the brand level as well to support so it feels like the brands are very in tune with the, the government message from the top down um, that has a big impact on consumers then of course the brands are there to support it kind of just all aligns very well and i think that's where maybe in the uk they've been a little bit 
sort of sluggish traditionally on the on the marketing they're not so fast not so rapid to respond and I think the lesson I think the world has learned from this whole COVID-19 that speed is of the essence speed in containing the virus and speed in recovery as well so it still remains to be seen if there's some kind of long tail effect to the economic downturn because clearly supply chains have been severely damaged throughout all of this and traditionally the early stages China's was the supply chain problem not not exporting the parts and the products uh, as required. Now there's a, a problem on the, the west the western side. So the US are not purchasing those products, are not able to get them to America because the demand's gone down. So this whole thing has frozen the whole supply chain process. And I think it's really put a spotlight on, on supply chain problems. You know, it's, it's shown the fragility of the fact that in this modern world where products do touch many countries, perhaps it's a time for countries to consolidate and, and look at where they get their products from, how they manufacture those, and then equally marketing it in such a way that sort of touches the hearts of consumers. People aren't in the mood to be sold to. They're not in the mood to be buying things. But they'll certainly put their money behind something that means something. And I think what we've seen here in China is when something has been promoted, so the mayor of Wuhan, for example, going on live streaming, talking about the businesses in, in Hubei, the amount of money that's suddenly pouring to Hubei because people are supporting those businesses because they know that they've been impacted so greatly. It's that sort of thing that I feel marketers just stay in tune with and get those campaigns out there. And obviously, the marketing comes off the back of the operation of that brand. That brand has to be operating in a way, be prepared to mould their business model to fit the times. For those that just stand still and say, no, this is our business model and we're not going to change, um, we'll probably be the ones that suffer in the long term. Um, but in fact, what you should be doing is just building up confidence in your brand and and showing that you're completely in line with the solidarity of the nation. And that's what's so different about this crisis really uh, on a whole is it's, it's an emotional crisis more than anything compared to previous, which have always been very much a financial crisis. I think this is a good point to wrap up our discussion. I'd like to thank you all for sharing your thoughts and expertise here today. It's been really insightful. And I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed that time too. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. And that concludes Season 3, Episode 4 of the Live Lounge podcast series. If you'd like to get in touch with any of the speakers on today's episode, please do contact us at the British Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. That's all for now. Goodbye.